Big Fluffy. The Department of Agriculture stated last year the people of the United States consume more apples than any other country. Some of that consumption was in the liquid form. Can you give the phrase in slang for the central unfrozen portion in a container of frozen cider? Applejack. That's absolutely right. Applejack. Applejack, Chisholm City Social Club, 137 Feb 29, Animals 740, Table 6. Hey, boss, I had nothing to do with this, I swear. Applejack, Pompeii Palace, 138 Feb 29, Animals 740. Applejack, Charlie Place. Are you all right, Mr. Riley? Yeah, sure. What was I talking about? Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we're still at the kids' table, everybody. And this time we're talking the computer wore tennis shoes. Yep, that's the name of this movie that we watched. It's a, it's from a, an era that would be hard to imagine now if you are in fact a kid and you're listening to this, because uh, it's it's a time when Disney didn't have the Muppets or Marvel or all of the profitable things that they now own. So they made original programming, which included weird premises like this yeah uh and this is indeed a weird premise um and i think this even though there are no actual like young children in this movie uh it's definitely not targeted at the college age that most of the cast is made up of no i would have to imagine if you were a college age kid in 1969 that you were not sitting in front of a movie screen or television watching the computer war tennis shoes. Though there were a lot of drugs back then. So maybe a college age kid in 1969 was absolutely watching the computer war tennis shoes. I, I don't know. But from my understanding of that time period, I think a lot of them had just gotten their first real six string down at the five and dime. Mm, that was all. No, but this come out in the summer. I, I'd have to imagine. You think by the by the winter they were? <laughs> they were I mean, they put I, the six string away. <laughs> well, I mean, if you figure, if you played until your fingers bled, like that would just lead to chapped fingers in the winter time. You'd need to recover. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we got to build up those calluses too. Well, yeah, but then you also got to remember that Jimmy quit and Joey got married. Yeah, but well, if Joey, if he's he's newly married, he's not sitting down to watch this. Uh, maybe he's got you know. A small child, so they're trying to distract him with the TV. Well, not if it's the summer of 69. No, that's true. <laughs> that's... Oh, back in the summer of 69. Yeah, not a lot of kids. No. Yeah. Um, Definitely not the summer of love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this, uh, I believe, is the second appearance of one Kurt Russell on this podcast. So, yeah, uh, eagle-eyed fans will remember... That we watched Kurt Russell kick the shins of Elvis Presley uh, when we were doing our Elvis month, uh, which I, I believe was Kurt Russell's first on-screen role. He was a precocious young kid 
in that. But, yeah. but now this is, and I, I don't know if, I assume people know this, but maybe if people don't, yeah, they're before becoming just known as a badass, you know, sort of John Carpenter action hero type that Kurt Russell's bread and butter when he was young was that he had a Disney contract. Yeah, like that's that was essentially what put him on the map. And, uh, you know, he sort of I think he set the table for uh, many a young Disney star to outgrow their Disney contract and become something wholly different. Yeah. Yeah, he was the original Disney star. He was the original, he was the original Selena Gomez, is the way I see it. 100%. He's exactly like Selena Gomez. 100% like Selena Gomez. His uh, synth pop EDM albums are phenomenal. They're, yeah, uh, if you haven't checked them out, they're really great. You know, they're, they're really first rate. Uh, you know, he is a much uh, lauded member of Taylor Swift's squad. Yeah. Exactly like Selena Gomez. Well, and a lot of Taylor Swift songs are about when they dated. Right. And the messy breakup that they had. Yeah. It was it was really messy. Apparently, people if if people aren't familiar, I, I guess he kind of tricked Taylor Swift into dating him because she had hit her head and she forgot who she was. And so he convinced her she had fallen overboard on a boat. Oh, right. That's right. Then when she when she had fallen overboard, she had hit her head and she had amnesia and he, he kind of was looking for a mother to help raise his children. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, Kate you Hudson to, to raise Wyatt <laughs> and Wyatt <laughs> to raise Wyatt and Kate Hudson. You know what? I'm going to pitch it right now. Let's let's remake overboard with Wyatt Russell and Taylor Swift or make it with uh, Wyatt Russell and Meredith Hagner, his actual wife, who's delightful. Oh, Wyatt Russell's actual life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's true. That's a good point. Well, let's do that. Because also, look, obviously we're big Taylor Swift fans on this show. I think that's clear. Who isn't? But she doesn't need the work. No, that's true. Yeah. Um. No, we, we both have beards to emulate her current uh, man of the hour, Travis Kelsey. That's why we did that. Because of her, I learned what football is. Yeah. I'd, I'd wondered. Yeah. What football was. I heard that you got so into it, you started coaching. I coached it for more than a decade. Yeah, because of this recent relationship. <laughs> because of this recent relationship, this uh, less than a year old relationship, I spent the last, I spent uh, 16 autumns coaching. I spent a few football. years covering football. That's how into it yeah. I was. Never saw her in a game then because it was yeah. uh, about 10 years before. To the best of my knowledge, Taylor Swift has never shown up at a uh, high school football game in Central Maryland. Yeah, but you can't be sure unless you go to all of them. Yeah, and I and I will. Yeah. I will go to all of them. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I think, you know, she's she's busy dominating the box office, uh, just filming her concert. And, and right. so she's got that going. Not to mention the fact that obviously we all remember Star of Amsterdam or as it's correctly pronounced, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah, we all remember. Yeah. That movie sucked. It was very bad. She got shoved in front of a different. car. Yeah. Uh, any movie that says different is lying. No, it's not good. Okay. So and that's, and that's why we watched it last this past January. Exactly. Um anyways, computer war tennis shoes. Yeah. So uh, it's about Kurt Russell's character who gets he Dexter <laughs> Riley. You know what? I think it's worth. Yeah. His name is Dexter Riley. I think it's worth going through 
how he ends up with this computer in his brain because so he's he seems like kind of a dumb kid at the beginning or at least a kid that doesn't seem to care about his he's academic like, he's like an average student probably like not i'd say him and his friends skew towards kind of dumb because the, when the uh, to skip ahead when the three of his friends become the other members of his team they don't seem to know anything that's fair yeah so it seems like they're on the lower uh, a wrong academically of just like this knowledge that they have. But he, because they have this big test coming up and they get a computer from uh, the Joker that he, it needs a part. And he tells their teacher that he'll go pick it up the night that he should be studying. And then it seems like he breaks in because no one's there and it's dark and he just goes in to get this part. <laughs> and then he has the same origin story as the flash. Yeah, it's basically like the Flash origin story. He's electrocuted and then his brain works like a computer. But please remember, as we're discussing this, it's a computer from the year 1969. Yeah, his his brain as a result of this accident functions about as well as a computer now. Yeah, not a computer from 1969. No, the computers then like again, the computing power, they were giant and they weren't capable of doing much. But he no, apparently. Yeah has god powers right the uh 1969 um you know the year of the moon landing mm -hmm. uh the computers that did that um Alleged had essentially landing okay yeah and let's be honest here <laughs> the moon landing right. finger quotes yeah um had the computing I power i'm sorry i can't i know i don't want to be that we'd be a, a much more successful podcast but i can't i can't commit to that <laughs> That's fair. No, the moon landing absolutely it happened. It happened, for real. Yeah, it definitely happened in 1969. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, they did it. Yeah, and they met uh, Optimus Prime. Yeah. <laughs> we know this. Yeah, we saw it. We saw yeah, that documentary it's... about it. <laughs> Called <Dunker laughs> the Transformers Dark in the Moon. Right. Uh, to get, anyways, the computers they had then had roughly the computing power of a five-function calculator now. Yeah. Yeah, like a, if for those of you who are our age, like those TI-80 calculators. Not even. Not, not even, even the graphing calculators. Yeah, like not the even regular th Yeah. That, like maybe would do square roots if you were lucky. Which is funny because the, the movie even sort of acknowledges that by showing what the actual computer can do <laughs> in the movie. Because they, they do a demonstration where it opens a door and plays a recording. It's basically the computer in this movie... Is a Rube Goldberg machine? Yes. Yeah. Which all these things can now be done by your iPhone, like set an alarm and auto call and someone. Call, and auto call somebody <laughs> and and uh, place an order for bacon and coffee to be delivered to your house. Right. That's DoorDash. Also, even the the that's 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 Amazon subscriptions. Yeah. The the unlocking the door. They make those like smart locks and stuff now. Which, by the way, creep me out. Don't that just seems like a bad idea to trust the locks in your home to your iPhone. What could go wrong? Yeah. yeah. Um, we just got a garage door installed and you can open and close it via app. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't have the app on my phone. Yeah, I don't trust any of that at all. But back in 1969, they were more trusting. They they wanted the Rube Goldberg uh, computers. But yeah, he he can basically memorize anything that he sees that if he re he can read books 
really fast just by glancing at the page he retains all information that is presented in front of him so yeah this movie and um unrelated we could i'm sure we could probably do uh the remake that happened in the 90s of the computer war tennis shoes for this podcast if we so chose uh, but it was actually remade twice uh once was the computer war tennis shoes the second time was lucy the 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 lupasan movie i believe where she just gets incredible computing power i believe she turns into a computer in that movie if i remember correctly yeah it's a remake shot for shot it is shot for shot <laughs> yeah but um but yeah, it also doesn't make any sense because he aces the test the next day that he didn't study for, which already contradicts what they will establish in the rest of the movie. Hold, 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 the, hold the phone, friend. My man's absolutely studied for this test. Um, he had post-it notes and other oh, reading materials. He was driving all over the windows of his car. He was driving with them taped up to his car during what was a storm as well. Yeah. And I don't know. I've had many a teacher over the years that I've I've liked, respected, you know, have have had little mentor type relationships with not a goddamn one of them. Would I take a 70 mile road trip to pick up something for? No, not at all. Um, And I, I have know, a teacher is... that I keep in touch with now. And even now that I think we've transcended that relationship and are just friends at this point. I still would not drive 70 miles to pick something up for him. Mm -mm. No. And and I've taught thousands of students at this point in my career. Not a one of them would I expect to drive 70 miles to pick me something up. Because you're constantly asking them to. And they they always say no. I have the evidence to prove (laughs) that they will not. They will not go and run 70 mile errands. I'm like, could you just go to Delaware and get me something? I really need something from the Delaware uh, service station, the the, the uh, highway rest stop. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hit me up? Uh, with, is, Delaware is not the right. If you went to like the sheets in Virginia, can you just give me some cartons of cigarettes? And uh, yeah, I really need those uh, tater tots from sheets. They're good tater tots. I mean, they are good tater tots. Yeah. If, um, but even then, but, it wouldn't be worth it because they wouldn't be good by the time they got back to you. No, they'd be they would, that's 70, 70 miles out, 70 miles back. That's almost two hours. Pro tip, those uh, the, the, any of the food really from Sheets, you got about a five minute window to eat. You got for it, it to be you edible eat it before you sit down in your car. Yeah, because it becomes inedible almost immediately. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, so. This is neither a silver lining nor uh, a maligning of this movie. Maybe it's a maligning for the uh, the sound editing. But um, in the scene where the professor uh, explains what's wrong with the computer, I had to rewind it like four times because it sounded like he said, oh, yeah, this fart is busted on the computer. You know, what's great. I did hear that, too, but I didn't back it up. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> tracks. <laughs> I was like that. I was like, I, I had to know. And then after a couple of playbacks, he does, in fact, say part. But it did. I'm glad I'm not alone that it sounded like fart. Yeah, I just accepted it. I was like, the fart's broken on the computer. It is a human <laughs> computer eventually. So maybe there is some kind of crossover. Um. Yeah. Also, let's then, get it out of the way right now, because I don't think we've officially said this, but you and I were talking about this off the air. He doesn't wear tennis shoes. Never once. Yeah. You you named the movie 
the computer wears tennis shoes. It's for sure how this got sold. Like the pitch in the room was he's going to be a college kid and he wears tennis shoes and he's a computer. And they were like, yeah, sure. Here's the Disney money train. And then you never put him in tennis shoes when you made it. No, here, here's the pitch. They, the guy who goes up and writes the computer wore tennis shoes and then goes back and draws a line through each S. Well, originally he wrote the computer <laughs> wear tenny ho. <laughs> and then he wrote all the dollar sign S's. <laughs> that's that's how it happened. That's yeah. how it went down. Definitely. Um, yeah, this movie is. Wild. Um, and he no, never wears tennis shoes, no. and it's weird. It's not. Because I actually think that's what we need to talk about. Because, look, I'm here for it. I think you and I signed up for this on this premise of, like, he's going to be a computer. He's a high, yeah, college kid who becomes a human computer. I'm in. What do they do with it? Fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he... He becomes a national celebrity immediately within five um, minutes of getting the powers. Yeah. As soon as they do the first um, set of like tests to see how smart this kid is, um, starts wearing some bomb ass mod inspired clothing. And immediately, Let's just get that out there. yeah, he, he kind of looks like a beetle at one point when he gets off of a plane. Uh, he also immediately ditches all of his friends. Yeah. And his girlfriend, and is just kissing two women on television. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, this that, part that might even be the best part of the movie. Yeah. Oh, hands. <laughs> There's a couple other things that I think we have to talk about separate as the silver lining that are related to that. But, um, yeah, it's. But then. But then it becomes an episode of the Apple Dumpling Gang. Yeah, well, so that's so you establish this great premise. And I think you there was a lot of room to go with this of, again, a fascinating idea would have been for him to become a human computer. Well, then he also loses his humanity. And that's why he's being terrible to his friends. That's why he doesn't care about selling out. He's just running the numbers, baby. And they're telling him, right. get that cash. But yeah, you're essentially doing like the flowers for Algernon plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. Uh, you know, always a good one to go to. Yeah. Cheerful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, great for a Disney kids flick. Also, I think the best version of that I've seen in a, a sitcom is when it's always sunny, does it? Because then it just turns out that he's not smarter, but he does still just become a jerk <laughs> with Charlie. <laughs> like Charlie, just they're all humoring him and pretending that he's smart, even though he's not answering anything correctly. And he is just being a jerk to everyone. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good bit. But uh, solid. But yeah, so like the thing is, so they establish it. But then what ends up happening is there's really only two things, which is Cesar Romero, who is the guy who gave them the computer. He so I mean, let's talk about Cesar Romero's character a little bit. He's the Joker without face paint. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So he is the head of. Nebulous company he's also in that clip in the beginning he's applejack is code for him as a character because his initials are aj yeah he's aj arno is his character's name yeah and so um so what's happening in that clip is that the computer knew all the locations of his secret underground gambling locations yeah and so he runs this pretty evidently successful business 
But the reason he had the computer was to calculate gambling odds so he could bet on the ponies. Right. Which they established to like the computer, I think they say cost twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> Which of course in nineteen sixty-nine money was fourteen trillion dollars. Right. Also, I mean, I don't know a lot about gambling on horses, but the limited amount of things that I know about it does know that like just betting on what horse is going to win is not that profitable. Like you would actually probably want the computer to be able to tell you who's going to finish first, second and third so that that's where you really can make a lot of money on the trifecta. Yeah, I mean, you make your money betting on the ponies and the trifecta and the exacta. You know, it's not just picking winners because picking winners is based on just the odds. So if a horse is two to one and that's what the computer thinks is going to win, you're only doubling your money. It's not that worth it. Right. It has to. The computer has to tell you that a long shot is going to win for it to actually be profitable to just bet on that one horse. That's my my horse betting uh, tip for the day. I don't I can't tell you anything beyond that, you know. No, that's about that's about where I'm at with uh, horse betting the playing the ponies. Yeah, but I, I never I, never bet on a horse race. Never, never been to never gambled on horse racing in my life. I have, but I only did it because I like knew someone who had a horse and went out and like saw, you know, like a family friend had a horse and we bet on that horse and I don't think it won. Should have had the computer. Yeah, if only I had a computer in my brain. But yeah, so Guy has a successful underground, you know, gambling ring going that he presumably would be making a ton of money from. But I guess he also is just a gambling addict that wants to bet on horses. And which is you're getting high on your own supply. You can't have a gambling addiction and run an illegal gambling ring. That's just bad. That's just asking for trouble. But uh but he does, and that's what he has the computer for, and that's what the knowledge that gets put into Kurt Russell's brain and is apparently activated Winter Soldier style by hearing the words Applejack. Yeah. And then know. he just starts rattling off all the locations of where they run these casinos from. And that's... So then they... Then it descends into an episode of the Apple Dumpling Gang. Because then, yeah, Cesar Romero and his crew, they kidnap him and his friends who he's been a complete jerk to for most of the movie, but then gives one speech going like, hey, guys, I thought about it. And I was kind of a jerk. And they're like, yeah, but it's OK. Uh, they <laughs> figure someone out- utters the line. You're like, yeah, like it's like we could get shot in the gut. It's like, yeah, but what's shot in the gut amongst friends? Yeah. But yeah, they, they basically so. There's two competing things, and I do want to get back to this, the the two separate things, but Cesar Romero wants him to to bet on the ponies, and then the dean of the college or the president of the college or whoever wants him to win this this academic competition in order to raise money for the college. And it's treated as if what the college is doing is good and what Cesar Romero is doing is bad, but I would argue they're the same thing. That you're just I, using him for money? I would also argue that they're the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, I think it's the only instance in American history of a college exploiting the skills of their student body for financial gain. I think that's the only time that's happened. Yeah, I don't think they normally do that. They normally just exploit uh, their bodies for financial gain. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I learned that from Taylor Swift. 
And then they uh, immediately abandon them after receiving a concussion. Yeah, exactly. Or they hire a coach who cheats a bunch, and then that guy gets out of town before everyone figures out what was happening. Right. Yeah. And then gets elected to the Senate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's... It is presented like Cesar Romero is terrible, but I would actually argue, especially because we watching the whole film, we kind of discover this was a very short window of time that his brain could actually handle being a computer. And by the end of the movie, uh, like every sitcom that did a Flowers for Algernon plotline, it we're resetting back to the baseline that we started with. And so he has to lose these powers, meaning he really only had like a few months to be a computer, which I would argue if he had dropped out of college and just bet on horse races every day for that window of time, he probably would have set himself up financially. And he and Cesar Romero could have done it together. Like they, I think what needed to happen is he needed to work out a deal with Romero to be like, look, I can be your human computer, but you got to stake me so that I'm also financially gaining from this. Yeah. It seems, it seems a much more logical outcome and mutually beneficial for everybody. And then they could have stolen the diamond from the Gotham Museum. Which that guy shatters. I don't I didn't understand what was happening with the diamond scene. Oh, I mean, basically, like they're I don't know. So they had this gigantic uncut diamond that they're going to cut. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah, I think it's more valuable to be uncut. Right. Um, And the the point was that he cut it, tried to cut it at the wrong angle and shattered it rather than making a clean cut down the middle. Yeah. I okay. I should clarify. I understood that's what happened. I didn't understand why that scene was in the movie. Because uh, Kurt Russell had the computer brain, sure, and he knew the right cut, and the this uh, trained expert had no clue, right? Because he's no computer. And they did it on TV for some reason. Because in the sixties, <laughs> they televised cutting of diamonds. You know, as you do. Um, yeah, this is like, we're making this movie sound like it's fun and exciting. I should point out it isn't. No, because it really is mostly about this athletic competition, which also we should talk about this too, because it's a four person, you know, academic kind of quiz show where two colleges compete against each other. And it's not even buzz in. They just ask one side a question and then the other side a different question. And there's point values to each question. But Kurt Russell's team is him and three other guys. And those three guys don't know a single thing about anything. No. And he only knows things because he has a computer brain. So what ends up happening is he gets kidnapped by Cesar Romero. And then the other three guys have to compete without him in the finals. And they get like 30 points between them when the other side has like 200 points or something. Right. And then um, Kurt Russell shows up at the last minute to do the third act of Flowers for Algernon slash Charlie. Um, yeah, where he's and then, he's answering the questions, but his brain is melting down. So he's he's doing it, but not he's talking really slow. It vaguely feels like he's trying to win an Oscar in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and no one thinks like this kid's clearly experiencing some trauma. We should stop the competition and his deal with it. Legs don't work. He's <laughs> carried in there and his legs aren't working. And clearly he's having symptoms of some sort of 
major uh you know brain failure stroke something and nobody cares because he's their cash cow right which that kind of tracks yeah but yeah also the you you keep alluding to this apple dumpling gang thing which is so his friends that he was a jerk to figure out that he's kidnapped so they pose as house painters to go to the hideout where Cesar Romero's dumb henchmen believe that they're house painters, even though when he shows up, he's like, they're high school kids who are bad at painting. And like, did you look at the outside of the house? They don't know what they're doing, but they break him out. And then I have a lot of thoughts on this because there's an extended chase scene where the <laughs> with a dune buggy with a dune buggy where they're all throwing their paint at Cesar Romero's dune buggy. He has a gun that he never uses. Chekhov would be furious. And yeah. uh, the the really weird thing about it, 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 everything about it is weird, but the weirdest thing about it is this was all a rescue of the kid with the computer brain who they leave locked in a chest instead of, oh, I don't know, using his computer brain to help figure out how to get out of this situation. Uh, that doesn't sound right. You know, because that would have been a fun use of the premise. What's better is if the kid with the special power doesn't like, factor like in. Like, if he was able to calculate the exact angle to, like, tip the paint so it causes them to, like, lose control of the vehicle. Any number of uses. Or, yeah, like, make this turn. Calculates the, the best route yeah, to the, get there. Yeah, the, the route. Or it's like, well, a dune buggy, the amount of drag, blah, blah, blah. Or it can't handle this terrain and we can. Or any number of things. Yes, dune buggy is famous for for not being easily maneuverable through difficult terrain. Apparently, they can't handle paint, according to this movie. Yeah, well, you know, it makes sense. Um, yeah, and then... It just, it ends like a sitcom. Yeah, I mean, it, it just ends with they win the academic competition because one of the dumb kids gets one answer right. when Because he's from Lebanon, Kansas, which is the geographic center of the United yeah, States. Yeah, which is why he knows it. He answers the question why Kurt Russell is dying. Like, Kurt Russell's <laughs> brain shuts off and his head slams against the table. Yeah, Kurt Russell is clearly having an aneurysm right next to him. And nobody cares because they're just waiting to see if this kid from his hometown is going to be able to say. And weirdly, the kid who's from the town almost doesn't say the answer in time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you and I are both pretty smart guys, I feel like, in general. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like regardless, everybody knows one odd fact about their hometown. Yeah. It's just like it's something if, if it was an athletic competition that my computer brained friend had gotten us all the way short of just short of the finish line and I had to step in and save it. And the question was the hometown of good Charlotte. I'd be able to go <laughs> Waldorf, Maryland. Yeah. If you if you would have said, you know, uh, birthplace of Scott Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you were like. Christina Milian went to high school here. I could tell you those things. Right. You know, I could tell you that uh, famed voice actor Tom Kenny is from East Syracuse, New York. Yeah. Yeah. If any of those were in an athlete, I keep wanting to say athletic, academic competition. Academic. Yeah. Because I'm thinking of Taylor Swift. That's why I want to say athletic competition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I'm ready to pivot to 
the, the, the enjoyable bits of this movie. Did I mention he doesn't wear tennis shoes? Yes. Okay. I just need that on the record. It needs to be said as many times as possible. I already know uh, the thumbnail I'm going to post is the IMDb trivia that says at no point in this movie does Kurt Russell wear tennis shoes. It just felt like such a... Because I really do think that it encapsulates all the problems with this movie, which are could have been a fun premise, but failed to utilize the premise. It's also real quick before we do officially pivot worth mentioning. This is the first of three movies starring Kurt Russell's character as Dexter Riley. where, yeah, it's there's a Dexter Riley trilogy where one, I think the second one, he becomes invisible. And in the third Called, one, he now becomes, you see me now you don't. And then in the third one, he becomes real strong. Yeah. So he's just like running through the powers of the fantastic four. And then in the fourth one, they just light him on fire. That one, that one was called The Thing, and it was radically different from the previous three. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Kurt Russell is just, it's just Dexter Riley in The Thing. It is Dexter, yeah, that's what we didn't realize. It, that started as a Dexter Riley vehicle, and he was supposed to be, you know, be able to be on fire, but it somehow it ended up uh, on this, like, remote snow base where he has a flamethrower it just you know how hollywood is you start getting those rewrites yeah people you know people in the uh the producers each one has an idea they need to get in and yeah that's how it goes um we already talked about his suits were dope as hell look from the moment that he gets his computer powers to like you know that that until he gets kidnapped until he gets kidnapped that stretch of time when he the second act basically the second act when he bails on his friends gets a huge wardrobe upgrade and is just making out pimping on the tarmac at LaGuardia airport yeah he's so popular because he's a kid with a computer brain famously a thing that has always been found super sexy just a huge panty dropper. Yeah, let me women tell just you. throw themselves at the guy who can answer trivia questions real easily, which also what they've seen of him based on what we've seen on national television is a really old man asking him four math questions in a row. That's what and him, and him getting them right. And I just I, I do love just how baller he said. It's like, can we have the audience hold their applause till the end? We've wasted 38 seconds. Yeah. No, he becomes a dick immediately. And it's great. But I it's just awesome. I do want to say just for the record, you know, I took uh, calculus in high school. I, I actually was pretty good at math where I, I was, you know, taking pre-calculus and calculus one in high school. I, trust me. Yeah, I had to fight the ladies off. <laughs> I mean, they had to throw you a life preserver. You were drowning in it. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was, I, I, I heard the stories. Yeah. They're they like, who's the most eligible bachelor from Waldorf? Joan Benji Madden. Fuck out of here. It's Joel Murphy. <laughs> They're like, tell us Joel about Madden? A- More like Joel Murphy. Exactly. There, there was only one Joel. <laughs> <laughs> one Joel M. Yeah, that's where the other one had to flee to Beverly Hills. That's them, um, right? Is that their song? <laughs> That's a Weezer song. Oh. They you, did Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, where they a, talk about Beverly Hills. What's also, the same didn't, thing. He, didn't he date Nicole Richie or something? I know, to be clear. One of them married Cameron Diaz. Okay, to be clear, I know they're from my hometown, and that's where my knowledge of Good Charlotte ends. That's where it should end, yeah. I think. And it, that's mostly because, well, everyone there knows it, but also they named one of their albums Waldorf Worldwide. Great. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so this scene, this might be the most banana scene in the movie. And I loved every second of it because of how little sense it made. So after uh, the Flash origin story, when uh, Dexter Riley is starting to get his computer powers, uh, they do a cursory medical exam. And when they use like the doctors, like uh, I don't know the name of the tool, but like the, where they'll like check your eyes to see if they're dilated, and it's essentially a magnifier. When they look in his eyes, all they see is like computer mainframes. Yes, and they they all see it. Like they're all like, "Wait, you got to look at this." Like his brain has turned into a computer. Like it's a Cronenberg movie or something. <laughs> right. There's it's like a, a touch of body horror sprinkled in. Yeah. Which also fits with uh, Dexter Riley's future as an Arctic researcher. Right. And it fits with uh, the remake uh, Lucy. Right. All, she, all of that. Because she turns into a computer. And she end. does turn into a computer at the that end. That movie's real stupid. Ah, uh, so dumb and bad. Yeah. So dumb and bad. Um. But then they somehow have a device that can see his thoughts. And his thoughts are then rendered classic, like, cartoon. If, if you haven't seen it, it's it just imagine, like, when they do that bit on The Simpsons or, like, this is an old school, like, Looney Tunes bit where they show you someone's brain and then it's a monkey, you know, clashing two symbols together. Like, that's what his brain is, but it's a pretty girl, right? Is what... No, except, yeah, except his brain is a girl in a bikini in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. The that... car. The car of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Not the whole movie. No. She's, she's just in the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang car. Yeah. And that's what he's... Uh... In a polka dot bikini. And, and that's what he's thinking. <laughs> and they can see no, that. No. Yeah. And, yeah, they can see that. Yeah. Without, like, any x-rays or, like, uh, EEG leads or anything like that, um, they just, like stand next to this machine and if they had that level of technology that that's a revolutionary piece of technology yeah again that was 50 years ago like over 50 years ago and we don't have anything close to that now no we do not nothing remotely where you can actually like visualize someone's thought process like they're close they've come up with some like blurry images from people like eeg leads like in like testing dreams and things like that but nothing remotely like what this did. No, I mean, the closest was in the 90s when Edward Nigma created that machine that could... Right, the, uh, the box. Yeah. That was not at all a box. It was a blender. Yeah, it was a big blender that he, he put on your head and then it, it lets you... It stole your thoughts and made him really deformed. Yes. Um, but I loved that. I loved that that scene happened. That was, I think, my favorite scene in the whole movie. It feels like a scene from a completely different movie because, again, I can't stress enough how not fun and not over the top the rest of this movie is. But that was that was just cartoonish and I did enjoy it. It's great. Yeah. No, it was if that if the rest of the movie had had the same like tenor as that, it would have been an infinitely more enjoyable movie. I also just think if the rest of the movie had been him losing all of his humanity and just being a jerk and then his friends having to get him to be human again, that would have been a good movie. Yeah, and, you know, good for the kids. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they should have saved him. I'm just going to put that out there. Based on the movie that we saw... There's no reason they should have saved him. Yeah. And no reason they should have been so gung-ho about saving him. And also, because they also could have died, where, like, it is it hinted at that Cesar Romero is a dangerous guy. Right. But... But Arno does not mess around. No. 
no, the dude's got a gun and he will chase after you in his dune buggy. But uh uh yeah, but also again, I the other side this of this movie had a dune buggy chase and it's not fun. No, it's yeah. A dune buggy chase. A dune buggy chase where they're throwing colorful paint around. Just visually it should have been fun too. But And it's not. But no, I also again, I don't know that he needed to be rescued. Sure, he got arrested at one of the clubs, but I think if he had just Really, like I said, if his computer brain had calculated that the most financially successful path was to be cozy up to to old AJ and get him to bankroll him as they both bet on the ponies, I think that's the happiest version of this. Yeah, like how is this not them counting cards in Vegas? Something a computer can actually do. Yeah. What's also even the movie Rain Man got there. Right. Yeah, Rain Man did it. Uh, the Hangover stole it. Yeah. Uh, that movie 21 with the, the blackjack which scammer is ba- team. Which 21 is based on a real thing that like real people who have the closest humans have to, to computer brains, which was the MIT. Uh, like Just first rate MIT math students. Yeah, they were MIT math students who basically created an actual system that worked where you could count cards in your head successfully and like essentially... Again, this is stuff I know very limited amounts about, but anyone could theoretically learn the system and do it at the table. And they all got barred from casinos because they it worked and they made a ton of money. But that's a real story. Yeah, that's a thing that happened. Because, of course, if you had a computer brain and you could just go into casinos and beat the casinos, one, you would do it. And two, they would ban you. Yeah. Um, And also, like. Or if you could write an algorithm that was so accurate as to predict the outcome of horse races, you could make an absolute killing. Yes. Although the horse race thing is, I mean, it, it sounds silly to to pull at threads in the logic of this movie, but I think there's nothing, no way you could actually ever successfully predict horse racing. You could create better, you know, like essentially you could calculate what odds were worth betting you know this horse is such a long shot that it's worth betting on or some kind of system that would allow you to theoretically make money regardless of what happened but you're never going to be able to predict the outcome because it involves actual animals that are alive and unpredictable because only in movies do algorithms work that way yeah like that's not well because it's also not how the world works like it's it's not a fixed thing well this horse is the fastest so it'll win no not if it falls and hurts itself or like you know not if another horse gets in its way and then a third horse is able to pass both of them yeah or the the jockey is having a bad day and doesn't run the race correctly any number of things yeah there's too much too many like uh mar- too much margin for error i guess is the phrase and variables yeah those that's the word yeah so, so you were you were good at math <laughs> but yeah you could you could come up with a system that could tell you which things to bet on and and how to cover your bets enough cuz that's all odds are anyways just you you that's all they were doing with the MIT thing is with the blackjack is it's just finding the conditions that are they don't know what cards are going to be turned over but they can calculate based on which cards have been shown how likely things are to happen yeah is there something likely to come up where they could place a big bet and then earn their money you know and uh, like make them maximize their maximize their odds essentially um and counting carding count card counting is not illegal but if they catch you doing it they have the right to kick you out of the casino 
Yeah. Yeah, because you don't have a right to play at a casino. It's also interesting, too. Like, they wanted to put a stop to those people, but having worked in a casino, I can also tell you that a lot of times they don't care if people are trying to count cards or whatever, because one, people aren't actually good at it, and two, the actual advantage casinos have is that people don't leave when they win, and, like, the real advantage is just time and human nature and the fact that People don't go home when they win money. They continue to gamble. Well, yeah, it's um, no casinos are an absolute fascinating study in psychology. Yeah. Uh, that like it's one of those things where like they make the win condition as such a memorable experience and losses as so quickly brushed over that you forget about them. It's it's brilliant. Right. And it, it's just the way that our brains work of like when you win, you go like, well, the, that was just extra money. That wasn't my money. I'm going to continue to play. I'm having fun. And when you lose, you go, well, I got to get this back because I lost this money. Right. Or like or the idea that you're on a heater and not that each uh, each uh, incident is independent of one another. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing that will surprise you is like your odds of like the casino's advantage is not as big as you would think that it would be. But what their actual advantage is, is just human nature. No, if you if you just play pure odds, almost every casino game is slightly a house advantage. Yeah, like 50.2 percent or something like that. I think it's the blackjack house edge. Yeah, but it's it's not as much as you would think. Most of them are within like a few percentage points. Right. Um. That Yeah, it's but it's. The fact that uh, human beings are biologically wired to be horrible at calculating odds. Right. Which none of this is addressed in this movie. No. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting and it should have been. And if this movie was like a casino scam movie instead or done anything interesting after him just pimping out across the world with his newfound smarts. Yeah. I will say uh, for one more, I don't know if you have other silver linings, but I think a big silver lining that we haven't explicitly said is it is so obvious, even in this movie, which is a wildly mediocre movie, that Kurt Russell is one of the most charismatic people on the planet. Oh, dude is a star. It is so clear. He is like he is so charismatic relative to the rest of this movie, which features Cesar Romero, who was a very well-known and popular actor and Cesar Romero is is good in it and he clearly they got him because this is a few years removed from him playing the Joker I mean he's playing a cartoon villain in this for sure but Cesar Romero is enjoyable but Kurt Russell even at this young it's weird too with the age that he is because his voice sounds exactly the same so like you're looking at this this boy essentially like this boy with his schoolboy haircut who's, you know, just is uh, like all all of 19 is all of 19. But he talks and all you can hear is just, you know, like the guy that we all picture, you know, with the, all you can hear is Snake Plissken. Yeah, you just hear Snake Plissken. You just picture the beard and the long hair. And, you know, he's about to fight Keith David. I know that's not Snake Plissken, but I keep talking about the thing because that movie's awesome. Yeah. Um. But no, he and he is like you can tell that he's going to have he's going to be a star. Right. Like it's, it's so obvious. No. And it's very clear that like, yeah, Disney were very smart. to, And you could even kind of see it not as much, but even in the Elvis movie that we saw, like he was always as a child actor, a, a cut above like he stood out. And, yeah. And yeah, like they made three of these movies based on 
his charisma because there is nothing else that's carrying these movies. No, there's literally nothing. I've I've not seen the other two. I don't need to. I don't intend to. We could probably do we could do a Kurt Russell month where we because we could definitely do Escape from L.A. Yeah. Uh, and we could do more of these, I guess. I mean, there's, there's you know, Kurt Russell, I, he's one of my favorites, uh, but he's they're not all winners. No, we could do the hateful eight. Wait, what? Huh? Well, OK, I'm being told in my ear people like that. I don't I'm confused. I don't. It's not the worst Tarantino movie, but it's probably the second worst. <laughs> yeah, it's up there. I do not like that movie. It's like there's like four good moments in that movie. It's the shot of Kurt Russell the first time you see him. And then yeah. the shot of Samuel L. Jackson the first time you see him. And then the credits. I was going to say everything Bruce Dern does is awesome. I mean, that's just a true statement for life. <laughs> that's what, so, but he's in the movie. Yeah. So that's why I think it stands. I think that's why it holds up. Yeah. Um. No, uh, that movie's bad. Uh, I, the, the only other thing that was a silver lining for me uh, is the the opening credit song is just wild. Oh, yeah. No, the opening credit song is good. It's one of those classic. I should have pulled it, but I didn't. But it's uh, one of those like we're just going to sing the premise of the movie songs. Yeah, it's 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 like every 80s sitcom opening, even though it happened in 1969. It's like he's a computer and he's wearing tennis shoes. He can solve problems with his brain, but we're not going to do anything with it. And actually, he's not really wearing tennis shoes, but it sounded good for the poster. Because him wearing mod boots doesn't have the same ring to it, so we said tennis shoes because that's what kids wear. Except we didn't want them to because we actually wanted him to be more fashionable. So he's got a badass suit and a cool haircut and makes out with two chicks at the same time at the airport. But we're also making this sound like it's more fun than it is because actually it's pretty boring. It's the most boring movie with a dune buggy paint chase, but you're going to watch it because Disney rules all. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate Silver- or... Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip and Katie and Bridget, and we're three friends who like movies, especially movies of yore when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright, shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best, the worst, and everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out, is is it for real? real?